let's uh, let's make it quick. Let's find our seats. Uh, to to kind of uh, to kind of uh, go ahead and transition into this, let me just go ahead and say uh, a few thank yous of my own. Um, uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much to to, to P. Joey and, and Cicely. Um, you guys, your hospitality is second to none. Uh, we love you dearly, Christina, and I love you guys so much. We are honored to call you uh, our friends. I, I am so. Uh, just blown away by, uh, by the years of friendship that we've had, and um, I'm just so happy to call you guys not just friends in the ministry, but family. And uh, we love you, and uh, we're always here for you. And, and I want you guys to know, students, too, thank you. Uh, what you have here is so rare. And you need to know this. It's, it's funny sometimes because, like, when you're with your family, uh, sometimes you can like you can see a lot of the flaws in the family, and you can complain a lot about your own family. All, all families are like that, right? Uh, but you don't you don't really appreciate what you have in your family until you get away from your family and you see other families, right? And and, and, and here's what here's what I need you guys to know is that Excel, what you have here is so unbelievably beautiful. It is so unbelievably powerful, and it is so exceptionally rare. <laughs> What, what's happening here, the, the family that you have here, the culture that you have here is, is like nothing else that's happening, not only in the state, dare I would say, uh, the nation. Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm not putting down other youth ministries. Everybody has their own vibe. Everybody has their own thing. But when I think of Excel, when I think of what, what you guys have here, the, 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 most, the most powerful word that comes to mind is this, family family. And you're like, family? Like, why is that a powerful word? Listen, and when I, because, because some of you guys, you don't understand the power of family because you might come from some broken homes. And I completely and totally understand that. But this is family the way God intended family to be. Family that fights for one another, family that has each other's back. So when I was praying about like what I could do to just kind of send you guys off uh, a little bit, or what I could do, what, like in my last sermon, to to send you off a little bit is I just wanted to I wanted to talk about friendships. I wanted to talk about friendships today, and you're like friendships, bro. That's like a that's like a Thursday night. That's like a one off. That's like a no 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 no. Listen, <laughs> I think talking about family and I think talking about friendships is one of the most deeply spiritual things that you can discuss because I believe that it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. And I, I would also tell you that what God has done in your heart will be sustained and maintained by the friendships you develop after you leave this place. It's the accountability. It's the, it's the family of Excel that will hold you to a standard that God has brought you to, right? It's, it's the family, it's your, it's your friendships that you develop, it's your ability to fight for one another that's going to sustain the momentum that, that God gave you. It's going to be that brother in Christ asking you, what have you been reading in your word this week? Talk to me about that. What would it look like if that was the conversation like before you moved on to the score of the Cubs game, before you moved on to the Bears draft pick, before you moved on to like, you know, uh, what you were binge watching on Netflix, what if you opened up the conversation with, hey, what's God been doing in your heart? What have you been praying about? 
What happens when, you're, when your sister in Christ comes up to you and is like, hey, what is it in your life that you need prayer for? Because here's what I know is that families fight for each other, right? Families, families have this tight-knit relationship, and you can say things to your family that other people can't say to your family. <laughs> Amen? And so you can call each other out. You can, what the Bible says, spur each other on to acts of righteousness. Have you ever been spurred before? <laughs> Doesn't feel good. <laughs> but, it's, but, it, but it gets you headed in the right direction. It serves as a great reminder. And family has the ability to do that. When I was, uh, when I was a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago, um, I, I wasn't in the roughest neighborhood, but it was a rougher neighborhood. You know, I think anytime you're in the city, you just have this vigilance, right? And uh, it, it, was, it was really quick uh, for me because I, I just started getting this reputation. I just started hanging out with some of the bad kids. And, and, I, and I blame my cousin, Pat, uh, because he, I, I looked up to him. He was three years older than me. And I, he, was just, he was just like uh, my role model. Um, he was also just like this huge pothead. And uh, he also just hung out with all the wrong people. And uh, Pat told me, taught me from a very young age like how to steal and like how to like take things that I stole and where to sell them and make money off of them. So, you know, it was really, really quickly, like, you know, I was like 10, 11 years old and I was running around uh, on the streets and I was stealing and, and then I was taking the things that I stole and I would sell them and I would make money. And I just started running around with, with the bad crowd, right? And, uh, you know, it, it, it's crazy because my mom saw what was going on and my dad recognized what was going on and they're like, listen, we've just got to get our kid out of this environment. We've just got to get him out of this neighborhood. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, is, is that I, I became the kid on the block that none of the other parents wanted their, their kids hanging out with. I was, I was that kid, right? Like I was the kid that just got a bad reputation. I was the kid that, you know, like, uh, please, don't hang out with him. Like I heard he carries a knife. Like, you know, like just crazy, like all this crazy, stupid, st all this stupid stuff like, like just started like coming out about me. And, and, and I think like 75% of it was true, but the rest of it, and then you know what happened is, is I just started getting bitter. So I just started acting like what they were projecting onto me. And so finally my mom and dad were like, we gotta get you out. We gotta get you out of this neighborhood. So what ended up happening is, is we moved out of the South side of Chicago. Uh, and then we moved to a 630 area code uh, in the West suburbs, right? My family moved out to, uh, from the south side of Chicago in a pretty poor neighborhood, and, and then we moved, we moved to one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the Chicagoland area. It's this community called Burr Ridge, right? It's off of I-55 County Line Road near DuPage. This is where Harry Carey used to live. Um, I remember when I got my first job at a restaurant in Burr Ridge, uh, I served Bo Jackson and his family when he played for the White Sox. So like just tons of wealth was out there. We moved in with my grandmother and my grandmother wasn't rich. My grandmother was just super, super old. So she bought one of like the first houses in Burr Ridge before it became a very wealthy community. Um, I, I moved from the South side of Chicago and I started going to high school at this place called Hinsdale South High School. Uh, it's just a bunch of wealthy kids uh, that go out there, and, and I was driving this super nasty, beat-up car. Actually, here's a really funny story. Like, all these kids were driving, like, these super, super nice cars. Like, there was Porsches in the parking lot, brand-new Corvette. We had one girl. Her name was uh, Kelly Spear, 
and uh, her dad helped invent like the or engineer the North Star engine system that's in, in, in Cadillac cars. So she's just super extremely wealthy. Her daddy bought her a brand new Durango, uh, which were just released when we were in high school. Do you remember that when the Dodge Durango first came out? Everybody was like, oh, that's just mind-blowing, awesome car. Now it's like, nah, it's just another car, right? Um, but her daddy bought her like a brand new Dodge Durango. She didn't like it because it was just too big for her. Uh, so dad went and got her a Jaguar instead. And I just, I just didn't understand that. I was like, who are these kids? But the cool thing is, is that I had an assigned parking spot right next to her. <laughs> and so like my grandmother let me use her car. <laughs> and my grandmother's car was old and nasty. In fact, it had, a, it had an old carburetor in it. Uh, and, and what that means is, is nothing to you, but the carburetor was malfunctioning. And when the carburetor in these old cars are malfunctioning, when you turn the car off, it backfires. And it sounds like a shotgun blast, man. I mean, it's like, boom! Like, <laughs> it just explodes, right? It just blows up. So the funny thing is, is like, first day of school, she pulls in, and, I, and then, like, you know, I pull in, and I cut the engine. She's getting out of her car, and she's just like, la, 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 la. And she's getting out of her car, and I turn back, cut my engine, and my engine's like, boom! And it blows up. She ducked, man. And I was laughing so hard. I was like, that's what you get, rich girl, right? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, you know, it, it, I was super uncomfortable at that school. And the reason that I was super uncomfortable at that school is because I just, I just felt like I didn't fit in. Right. And, and what ended up happening is, is this, and, 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 you know, you've probably heard this line like a million times before, right? My mom always told me this. She's like, you know, you can take the kid out of the bad neighborhood, but you can't take the bad neighborhood out of the kid. <laughs> And so what ended up happening is because I just didn't feel like I belonged with anybody there, I went directly to the group of kids who were troublemakers just like I was on the south side of Chicago. You know, I, I, just, I, just, I, just found, I just found kids that I felt comfortable rolling with in that school. So listen, the, it, it was the friends, it was the people that I surrounded myself with that started creating really big issues in, in, in my life. In fact, when I was in high school, I had a group of friends that were just total idiots, man. I mean, I love them. I still talk to them to this day. I'm still talking to all of them about their relationship with Jesus Christ. None of them have come to... Um, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm still praying for my friend Scotty. I talk to him every now and then, and he's always has a lot of questions for me. But, um, you know, I, I rolled with, let me just tell you about some of my friends real quick, right? So, like, first of all, there was Scotty. Uh, Scotty was like the, ath the jock that was always high. Uh, he was just always into drugs. He was just always doing stuff. But he, he was able to skirt by and, and beat the system because he was such a talented athlete, right? And then I had my friend uh, Rayhan. Uh, Rayhan was, uh, how do I explain this? And, and here's the deal. When I'm explaining some of the character traits of some of my friends, some of y'all might be like looking at each other and, and like elbowing each other. Like, just keep your cool, all right? Like, Rayhan was like the short kid. He was the chihuahua that thought he was a pit bull. Right? Always running his mouth. Always barking at somebody. Always getting us into fights. Like, Always. Like he's just this little kid. He, he couldn't fight to save his life. He couldn't do anything. He was absolutely, totally useless in a fight. And, but he was always the one that's like, I'll kill you. You want some of this? What's up? And he's like barking his mouth. And I was like, Rayon, shut up. We are not in the mood for any of this today. Like always popping off, right? Like he was just a little chain smoker too. Like, let's fight. You know, I'm like, what you, what's the matter with you? You know? And uh, then I had Dev. 
Dev Patel. <laughs> Dev uh, was psycho, man. Um, like, here, here's the thing that you need to know about Dev. Dev is one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met. He's, he's truly, truly a, a, a math genius. I, I, would, I would almost call him a mathematician. He was just absolutely brilliant, but he was also completely and totally crazy. You didn't know, like, Dev was also a big kid. He was an Indian kid, and uh, he, was just, he, was just, he was just built. He was very tough. He was very strong, and he was very scary, and he was really good to have in a fight because he was just totally psychotic and unhinged. Dev is in one of two places right now. Dev either owns his own island and is completely wealthy and is really enjoying his riches <laughs> because he has, like, invented something, or Dev is in prison. He's, he's in one of the two places. He can't be anywhere in between because he's just that. He was just that, like, totally, like, hot and cold with his emotions. And then uh, I had my buddy Rasheen. Uh, Rasheen is what I would like to call a uh, fake thug, Right? Rasheen was the kid who thought he was tough, who thought that he was completely and totally gangster, but he lived in one of the biggest houses I have ever seen in my life, right? Like you walk into Rasheen's house and it's like marble floors and marble pillars and like a stove that comes out of the counter and it's like super gorgeous and it's like, oh gosh, man, am I, where am I at? Like this is, I feel like I'm in a hotel. He's like, no, this is my house. I'm like, <laughs> right? And, but, like, he would always walk around with, like, all this swagger and, like, all this, like, this, this, he just thought he was, like, gangster, man. Like, and so, like, you know, and he wasn't gangster. He was, like, as gangster as a cob of corn, man. Like, he just wasn't. Like, he wasn't, he just wasn't at all. And so I remember one night we were all at, like, this bowling alley slash pool hall, um, and we were just shooting pool. And then, of course, some guys got got Rayhan all fired up. And so Rayhan, being the little chihuahua, starts barking, rah, 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 let's fight. Rah. And so Rayhan is also a chain smoker. So he's like, whatever, I ain't got time for any of these fools. So he walks outside to light up a cigarette. And all of the guys that he was barking at start following him outside. Yeah, some of y'all are like, oh, because you know what that means, right? Can you just help me out? Like, I, like if I tell this story to some suburban kids, they're like, why is it a big deal? <laughs> what, do you, what, what's the, what do you mean, right? <laughs> what, what's, what, what are they going to, like, ask him for a cigarette? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, he's going to get jumped, right? <laughs> and so we walked outside. We walk outside, and, uh, like, I grab Scotty, and I grab Crazy Dev, and I grab Fake Gangster Rasheen, and we all run outside, you know, and, like, Scotty and Dev and I get there. Rasheen's doing this outside, you know, <laughs> so we all get outside, and, of course, uh, Rayhan's getting thrown into the bushes. They've already piled up on top of him. We get into a huge fight, and it gets really ugly really fast. The cops come, and then we scatter like cockroaches. Now, Rayhan finds out where these guys go to school. They all go to this private charter school. Uh, on the uh, like just in the western suburbs and so what we decide to do is 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 we're really mad we just all got really fired up so you want to know what I thought would be a really great idea here's what's going to be a really great idea tomorrow morning we're going to go and throw some baseball bats in the trunk of my car and we're going to go and we're going to meet these guys and we're going to mess them up and so we do this and, and we drive out and all of a sudden, we get to this school, and it's like they knew we were coming. Like, cops came out of nowhere. And thank God they came when they came, because we were about to do something incredibly stupid that would have absolutely changed my life. I think it was by the mercy and the grace of God that I got caught before anything stupid happened. 
and, and, and I'm telling you all of this so, so you guys understand. And here's the thing, like, you guys, we were approaching this school. I had a baseball bat in my hand. Rasheen, this idiot, was doing this. He didn't have anything on him. He was just trying to fake people out and get them scared. Well, it worked. And so what ended up happening is I got in huge trouble. Actually, I got a, a restraining order uh, placed on me. All of us got a restraining order placed on us to not go within a thousand yards of that school. And it actually hung over my head until like I was two years deep in ministry. I was a youth pastor with a restraining order on me from a school on the west side of Chicago. For two years while I was in ministry, I couldn't even go near that school. And it was because of the people that I surrounded myself with. We were making stupid decisions. And students, I'm telling you this story to help you understand that, listen, it is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. I praise God that, that, uh, that a pastor's kid by the name of Drew actually befriended me. And he started bringing me to church where I met a new group of friends and I started solidifying myself in a family of faith and eventually I gave my heart fully and completely over to Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I remember Drew would pick me up from parties. I would use him as an excuse, right? Because he was the pastor's kid. So I would call him up when I was too drunk to drive home and I'd be like, hey, Drew, come and pick me up from this party and take me home. And then he would take me home eventually. And, and then my parents would be like, where were you just at? And I was like, the pastor's kid, he's right there driving away. We were just hanging out and it worked. My dad wasn't fooled, right? But the whole time I'm with Drew, he, he's driving me in the opposite direction of my house and he's telling me about Jesus. And I'm like, bro, I just want you to take me home. And I'm like, he goes, he goes no, 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 you need me to take you home. And before I take you home, you are going to be told about Jesus. So I'm sitting in his car and he's driving in the opposite direction of my house 30 minutes on purpose. And he's like, you can walk, you can walk. And I thank God for Drew. I thank God that he was like family to me. I thank God that he did the things that he did because listen, if it wasn't for men of God like him, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you guys today. I'm sure of it. Proverbs 12, 26 says this, that the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And I, and I would like to suggest to you that there are fewer people who found this out the hard way better than uh, our boy Lot in the Bible. Right. In fact, I can point to multiple examples in the Bible of men and women who chose to surround themselves with the wrong people. And as a result, that they were just led astray. In fact, I bet there are a lot of leaders that are in this room right now that could stand up and give a testimony of crowds that they got mixed up with and people that they got involved with that led them astray, that pulled them away from who God wanted them to be. Is that an amen in this place, leaders? You should probably ask them some of their stories. Because this isn't just unique to me. This is a spiritual principle. God says it right here in his word that you have to choose your friends carefully because if you hang out with wicked people, they're gonna lead you astray. They're gonna take you away from all that God did in your heart this weekend. Who you surround yourself with from this point out is going to make a determination of who you are going to be in the future. 
Absolutely, 100%. Listen, I've been doing this for a very long time. I think I have a little street cred when I say this. Listen, I, I promise you, with almost 20 years of ministry experience, I can point to the kids who are who are acting like hell, and I can act to the then I can point to the kids uh, who are doing fantastic, and I can make a direct comparison from how they are acting now to the people they chose to surround themselves with. But this morning, we're going to focus on Lot. Listen, Lot had a lot. (laughs) Terrible, terrible, too early, right? Doesn't matter. Listen, what you need to know about Lot was this dude was loaded. He was rich. He was absolutely set up. In fact, Lot had so much that he and his uncle Abram had to split up when they were out in the fields. Why? Because both Abram, who became Abraham, Abram and Lot amassed so many servants and such a large herd that there just wasn't enough room to sustain the both of them. All of the grass was being eaten up. All of the wells were being drunk up dry because there was just way too many people in a consolidated area, right? Like it was, it was just getting so bad that there was like shepherd fights breaking out at the well. Like they were just clubbing each other with their shepherd staffs. And then they had these land right disputes and they had these fights over watering holes and, and, and wells. It was getting super, super ugly. So finally in Genesis 13, eight, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land that you want, and we will separate. And if you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land on the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I will go to the left. So the ball is literally in Lot's court. He can choose his destiny. He can choose where he wants to go and who he wants to be surrounded by. He can go anywhere he wants. And where does he end up? Verses 12 and 13, let us know. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord and they were Cardinals fans. That's not in the Bible, I'm just making an assumption. Just making an assumption, right? Now, maybe an argument can be made that Lot didn't know what he was getting into. Maybe an argument can be made that Lot just looked out and surveyed the lands and said, oh, that grass looks really nice for my sheep over there. It looks like some pretty good kibble for my people, right? But I doubt it. I I, I doubt that very, very highly because of the context that we see in scripture. It says that the people there were extremely wicked. They were extremely wicked and they constantly sinned. Listen, it means that these people had a reputation, didn't they? They were constantly sinning against the Lord. I believe that Lot knew exactly who he would be around. My guess is that Lot was more focused on the reward of their companionship, but he never thought about the risk of that companionship. 
And, and here's the deal, students, I think we have a tendency to do this as well. I did it when I was in high school. I think what ends up happening is we survey the landscape of whatever area we land in. We survey the landscape of relationships, and we too can make the mistake of putting too much stock in the reward, but not thinking about what it might cost us in the process. Well, I just want to belong. I just want to fit in. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be liked. I just want to be respected. So what we do is we move to the group where we can flow into the most easily. What is your green grass, students? Like, What is your clear water? What is the land that you're looking at? Is it reputation? Is that why you choose the friends that you are choosing? Because what they build up some reputation in you? Is it security? You don't want to feel uncomfortable, so you're just flowing with the people that understand your language, that understand your mindset, that understand your style, that understand your hopes, that understand your dreams, that understand your ambitions, right? Do you have an approval addiction? Right, like what, like, like what, are you, are you just thirsty? Do you have to have that boyfriend or girlfriend to feel validated all of the time? Like you just need to be around them. You need them to make you feel like you have value and worth. Like you see the rewards, but have you considered the risk of being with that group of people? The question you need to be asking yourself is what is this going to cost me? Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully. It's, listen, so what, what God is saying is that it's not just emotional, it's intellectual. It's not just how you feel, it's where they will lead you. You have to think about your friends, you have to pray about your friends. It is deeply spiritual. It is deeply spiritual. This is a defining moment for Lot. This decision, this choice that Lot makes to surround himself with people who were wicked is going to pull Lot away from the blessed life that he had when he was sticking with his family. That'll preach in and of itself, won't it? Why does Lot... Why does Lot land on this path of destruction? Because the way of the wicked leads you astray. The way of the wicked will lead you astray. Students, literally, in the next chapter of Genesis, it doesn't even take a year. Like, it doesn't even take a year, and Lot is broken. He's broken, family. He and his family have become prisoners of war because invading kings have taken them and everything he owns. And it wasn't even his fault. It was because the people of Sodom were so wicked. They were constantly fighting. They were constantly at war. And, and, and here's probably something that you would understand if I could talk to you like, you know, Chicago kids. Lot literally got caught in the crossfire of rival gangs just because he moved in proximity next to them. And now as a result, his family's gone. Everything that he owned is gone. His wealth is gone. His power is, is gone. In verses 14, 11, it says this, the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all of the spoils of war and the food supplies. 
They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, and carried off everything, everything that he owned. Lot, who prospered in the proximity of Abram in chapter 13, is now stripped of his wealth, stripped of his power, and stripped of his identity in chapter 14. Because it is impossible to have the right life with the wrong friends. Look, I've been watching students make relationship decisions longer than I think all of you have been alive now. So I think, again, I have a little street cred in this area, and I can tell you with certainty, if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. Okay, so, so how do we choose our friends wisely from this point forward? What goes into that? I think there's plenty of good ways to carefully choose your friends. I think your leaders can have some incredible advice for you, but what I'm going to do um, the advice that I'm going to give you is just going to come down to two questions that you need to ask yourselves. One, who am I right now? And two, who do I want to become? Not what do I want to become, who do I want to become? Because God is more concerned with who you are becoming than what you are doing. He, is, he, he knows that who you are on the inside will determine what you do. Right? It always goes that way. So I'm asking you not what you want to become. I'm asking you who you want to become. Who are you now? First question. In order to answer this question, what you need to be able to do is you need to be vulnerable. You need to be honest with yourself and take an inventory of yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What tempts you? What catches you off guard? Satan will always try to pull you away from your best life in Jesus Christ. What you need to ask yourself is what he is using to deceive you into believing that there is a better option apart from Christ. Listen, the ability to choose your friends begins with an understanding of who you can and cannot handle being around. It's that practical, right? Like, I get it. There's some tension there, right? Spiritually, there's some tension there. Because if you're a Christian, you live in that tension between 1 Corinthians 15.33, where Paul is telling the Corinthian church, hey, bad company corrupts good character. Right? But then there's the other side of that too, because Jesus also commands us to go into all the world and make disciples. We need to save the lost. We need to feed the found. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? One or the other? The, the answer is this, both. You're supposed to do both. Let's just use Jesus Christ as our example here. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he did not give everybody equal time. Did you hear that? Jesus loved everybody equally, but Jesus did not give everybody equal time. Jesus did not give everybody equal influence. Jesus did not give everybody equal leadership. Jesus did not give everybody's voice the same amount of authority. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he did not give everybody equal time. Follow this. Jesus ministered to the multitudes. Jesus had many disciples from the multitudes that he ministered to from that. From all of those disciples that he had, 12 followed him closely as his personal students. From those 12 disciples, Jesus had an inner circle of three that received even more time, more teaching, and more attention from Jesus. And even in those three, Jesus had John, his beloved, his very dear friend, 
In fact, it mentions in John chapter 13 that Jesus would recline on John in moments of rest. Let me give you a picture of what, of what I mean by that. Back in the day, they didn't have nice chairs with nice like, seat backs. A lot of the times you would be sitting on cushions or you'd be sitting on grounds around a rug or around a very low uh, board where you would be eating your food. So because there was no seat backs, it was very common in those days. Uh, if there wasn't a rock to lean back on or a tree to lean back on, you would just, you would just kick back on your friend. You just lean back to back, right? So the, the picture is, is that John and Jesus always sat next to each other. Jesus was always next to John, and John was always next to Jesus to the point where if they were sitting down even for meals, they would be reclining back on one another. And I think that's just an incredible image of Jesus in his humanity needing rest and relationship. If Jesus set boundaries, don't you think we should? Don't you think we should? Like, listen, I think the problem is that we don't set those boundaries because we have not taken an honest look at ourselves. It is impossible to set boundaries unless you are willing to take an honest evaluation of yourself or else your boundaries are not going to be in the right places. You're going to either put them too far out because you can think you, you think you can handle things that you actually can't handle or you're going to bring them too far in, which is also a problem because you don't believe that God has called you to do some of the incredible things that you have been called to do yet. As a result, some of us have an inner circle that cannot bring us inner peace. Some of you are reclining on people who are unable to support your high calling. And as a result, you are choosing friends over faith when you can absolutely have both. Listen, there are some of you and you, 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 you leave your Excel family to hang out with other friends. Where are they bringing you? What are they teaching you? What are they doing for you? I'm telling you, this is your family. These are the people that are going to have your back. These are the ones that fight for you. These are your true friends. And I'm not saying that they're perfect, but I'm saying that you are in a community of faith where people are trying to get better, that they are actually taught in the community of faith to look out for one another. Outside of the community of faith, you are not taught to look out for each other. You're taught to look for, out for yourself. And so what's going to happen is if you are surrounding people surrounded by people that are taught to look out for themselves, it's, it's only an eventuality that they are going to be thinking about themselves before they think of you, and you are going to be hurt very deeply by these people. Who are you? Who are you? This is a question you have got to answer. Look, if you struggle with lust, stop hanging out with dudes that objectify women and think that sex isn't that big of a deal outside of God's design in marriage. Like, like, if you struggle with insecurity, stop hanging out with surface-level, judgmental, petty, mean girls who are going to be subtweeting you and, and just lying and gossiping and backbiting all of the time. And dudes do that, too. Man, dudes are getting worse at it now. Like, what's wrong with you? Be men. I thought you were men. Like, learn to confront somebody to their face, not their Facebook. But you don't want to have honest conversations anymore. Some of you are, re listen, listen, if you struggle with anxiety, you need to quit hanging out with people who are just super extra all of the time. I'm not saying that those people are bad, but I'm just saying if they're extra and you struggle with the anxiety, like what are you doing? 
Listen, here's what you need to know. I have vertigo and I get motion sickness. It would be, my, my kids love rides at carnivals. You know, the car, you know what carnival rides do? They're known for doing one thing, this. That's it. That's what carnival rides do. And my kids are always like, Dad, you want to go into the Gravitron? And that's the thing that spins you the hardest. It spins you so hard that you stick to the wall. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, let's go right now. If I got in that, I would vomit. My head, I would walk out and my head would be on backwards like that dude in Spaceballs. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's just not smart for me to go into that environment because it will have a negative effect on my body. But some of you are hanging out with people and you are putting yourself in environments that are having the same negative and nauseating effects on your spirit. But that's okay? No way. Who are you? I'm not telling you to stop loving these people. I'm not telling you to be rude or hateful or judgmental, but until you know your limits, you need to limit your time with them. Second question. The first one is, who am I? I'm going to take an honest assessment of myself. The second question is, is who do I want to become? Who do I want to become? Who? Who? Not what? Who do I want to become? And what you need to understand here is like, who is pouring into you, right? That's the question that you need to be asking yourself. Who is pouring into me? Have you ever noticed this thing that happens to people that the more time they spend around each other, the more they start to act like each other and dress like each other and talk like each other? Lions. That's okay though, that's a good thing. Sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing, right? Uh, like, like, like some of you are looking at each other right now, like, you know, like some of the, some of the people that are in here and you're like this BFF forever. I don't know if anybody says that anymore. I do whatever. Don't judge me. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's us. <laughs> we do that. <laughs> we totally dress like each other. <laughs> oh my gosh. We even shop at the same store. <laughs> right? Like I had these two guys in my youth ministry down uh, by St. Louis and uh, their names are Cole and Drake. Cole is actually going to be one of my interns this year. Cole is an awesome dude. Uh, he's just a great guy. And, uh, but like Cole uh, grew up in my youth ministry uh, down near uh, St. Louis. And he had this best friend named Drake. And Drake still goes to the church. Just a great guy. And these dudes were incredible friends. I mean, they, were, they, they ran cross country together. They, they looked alike. They talked alike. They watched the same things. And uh, the really funny thing is they actually had the very same laugh. Like they started developing the very same laugh. So like when I was like making jokes or cracking something funny in youth ministry, they would both start laughing. The problem is, is that they had the dumbest laugh ever, like on the planet, right? They laugh like this. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that when one of them heard the other laugh, the other would start laughing. So it sounded like it sounded like a gang war in my youth ministry, like two dudes with Uzis. I was like, I was like, you guys need to stop. You're totally distracted. I'm like thinking about it right now, and I'm dying. Right? They just they just started mimicking one another. They just started acting like one another so much. Right? And here's what you need to do. Another funny thing is this, like, I've been married for a long time now, and more often than not, my wife and I will get ready in the morning for, like, church, and we will be dressed alike. We're not even trying it, I think, I think, Christina, right? 
And, and here's the deal. We'll both walk out. Like, I'll come out of the bathroom after brushing my teeth. She'll finally put her outfit on. I'll walk out. We'll, walk, we'll meet in the hallway, and it's this awkward moment for me at least. And I'm like, oh, you, one of us is changing right now. And she's like, but we're cute. I'm like, no. <laughs> we're not supposed to match. This is, this is not gangster. This is not awesome. You know where I'm from? We don't, do, we don't match people. <laughs> She thinks it's cute though. But here's my point. Listen, here's what you need to know. You will start to take on the nature of the people that you spend the most time with to the point that over time, there might be very few differences in personality in social settings. Social anthropologists, these are people who study human behavior. They would actually call this social blending. This creates an alignment in interest. It's instinctive for us so that we can find companionship in the world, right? Like we will make subtle differences to come to center and then other people will make subtle differences in their life to come to center so that the herd that they hang out with, so that the tribe that they're hanging out with starts to look and talk and think and act alike. It's something that's happening and you, you don't even know that it's happening because it's so subtle and it happens slightly over time. This is why you end up watching the same series on Netflix as your friends so you can go back to school the next day and be like, dude, you see that last night? You know, or the girls can go back in and be like, I can't believe that happened, <laughs> right? Some of y'all still watch Gilmore Girls, like, and you don't admit it. Like, you're so weird. That's like, like, honest to God, like some of the dudes do too and we'll pray for you right? This is why you shop at the same stores. This is why you end up listening to the same music. Some of you hang out with groups that listen to music that you never ever would have listened to before you started hanging out with them. But because everybody in that group thinks that that, thinks that, that guy is talented, <coughs> Drake, for some stupid reason, <laughs> right? Right? Oh, yeah, Drake is the bomb now, man. You would never listen to that, but now you listen to it because somebody else thinks he's good? Get out of here, man. That guy needs to get even an ounce of talent. All right. Here's, here's what's happening. Listen, listen, listen. Listen. It's your desires that are coming into the line, to alignment with the things your circle of friends find socially acceptable. It, it, it's your desires. It is your desire to come into alignment with the things your circle of friends finds socially acceptable. This is why Lot, after he started hanging out in Sodom for a long time, felt that it was socially acceptable to offer his daughters to a bunch of perverted men in order to save his own skin and the skin of people that were in his house. This is a story that's in the Bible and everybody's like, why would God allow that to happen? God didn't allow that to happen. This was just this man being corrupted by the people that he was hanging out with. And he just drifted, he just drifted, and he just drifted until at one point, Lot thought that it was okay to offer his daughters out as prostitutes. That's messed up. Like, how could I ever do that? I would never do that. Oh, yeah? Surround yourself by people who think it's socially acceptable, and eventually you will. This is why you need to carefully choose your friends because the interests of your friends may start to create a disinterest in God. 
What happens when your friends aren't interested in Excel on Thursday nights anymore? What happens when the people you are surrounding yourself with aren't interested in purity? What happens when your friends aren't interested in, a, in an intentional and an accountable walk with Jesus Christ? What happens when your friends aren't interested in staying out of trouble? Students, surround yourself with people who will pour into your high calling. What would it look like if you started fighting for each other's faith? Excel. What would it look like if you started working together to strengthen each other and pray for each other and to reach your communities and to reach your schools as a squad, as a team? What if that became the value? What if that became the norm? What would it look like for you guys to be so passionate about the things of God that your tribe had such an alignment with one another that you guys actually started to create a social gravitational pull? I... I'm not trying to speak over your heads here. I'm just telling you, listen, instinctively, people will be drawn to your friendship group. And if you can create a strong sense of family, and if you can create a strong, what we call culture, that culture will start to change people without them even knowing that they've been changed. Your culture will begin to change your church before it even knows that it's being changed. Your culture will be able to change some of the schools that you go to before they even know that it's changed. Listen, this is scientific, and God designed it to be that way so that when the church starts acting like the church, the community of believers that it is, a gravitational pull will start to take effect, and it will be stronger in you than what is in the world, and it will be drawn to Christ, not the other way around mm. what would it look like if you started noticing the people who have been missing for um, Excel for a little bit you just started noticing them like you notice that they're not there and you pull out your phone immediately and, and you tag them on Instagram or you snapchat them real quick or you shoot them a quick text message like hey where are you tonight we miss you you know what's going on tonight this is going to be an incredible night like, you're like you pull out your cell phone and you're like, bro, we, what, Sunday morning, I'm sitting here at spring retreat, right, spring breakaway, like, where are you at? Why weren't you here this weekend? Like, man, we miss you. And, and you don't even have to say, listen, it's actually more powerful to say we missed you than you're missing something. Who, <laughs> you know, when we talk about social blending, we need to be very careful about where it leads us. Because some of you guys are starting to look so much like the world. And Jesus never intended for you to look like the world. He intended for you to change the world. But you cannot change the world if you look just like it. And that's why choosing your friends is so deeply spiritual. The people who you surround yourself with are either going to make you look different or they are going to create an indifference in you. Mm. It is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. Unfortunately for Lot, he learned this at a great expense. Genesis 14, 12, Lot was captured. Everything he owned was carried off, his power, his money, his reputation. Fortunately for Lot, Abram found out that he had been captured, and he mounted a rescue mission. I'm going to start preaching a little bit here now, okay? I'm almost done, so don't freak out when I say that, okay? Okay. Um, 
Fortunately for Lot, Abram found out that he'd been captured and he mounted a rescue mission. Somebody say rescue mission in here today. Listen to this. And if I can have the worship team come up, maybe a little acoustic something. Verse 14. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. I just want you to start thinking about this spiritually right now, okay? Lot mobilized the 318 men that were trained up in his household, that were trained up in his family. The leader, Abram, mobilized his army that was raised up in his family, Excel, to go and find the one in his family that was captured by a different culture. Then he pursued Keter Lamar's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Keter Lamar's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all of the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all of the women and all of the other captors. Listen, Abram rescued Lot even though he didn't deserve it. Abram rescued Lot even though they had to split because there was just annoyances and differences and there just was some issues that were going on there. Abram rescued Lot even though it was Lot's own stupid fault for choosing to go and live in Sodom where where he knew there was problem, where he knew there was wicked people that had a terrible reputation. Abram chose to bail that guy out even though he didn't deserve it even one bit. In fact, we could say that's what Lot gets. He walked away from me. They walked away from Excel. They're living that life right now. That's what they get. Turn them over to the devil. Let's see what happens then, right? But Abram still rescued him. And not only does he rescue him, students, watch this. He restores him. Students, just like Abram rescued Lot, I want you to know that God has mounted a rescue mission for you as well. Mm. There are some of you in here tonight who have made some stupid choices. Maybe this morning you have, you have been thinking about some of the bad friendships or relationship choices that you have in your life right now. You might be in here this morning and because of some bad relationship choices, something that you might once have had might be lost to you now. Maybe it's a godly reputation. Maybe it's a passion for growing close to God. Maybe you've lost something else. Whatever that might be, I want you to know that just like Abram restored Lot, Jesus can restore you. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart, our mind, our will, and emotions that Jesus is Lord, that we will be right with God. And the Bible says that Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The righteous choose their friends wisely, but the wicked will lead you astray. Can everybody just stand up in this room? Because here's the part of the verse that I want to go up to that I think that God is really speaking to us. Number one, yeah, Jesus is the true and better Abram. Jesus is the one who mounted the ultimate rescue mission for us when we got snatched up and we got caught up in a world that dragged us away and ruined our reputation and took our livelihood away from us and re-slanted our purpose. 
I think it's absolutely incredible that Abram restored Lot. He, re he, got, he got all of the things that the enemy took from him and gave it back to him. And that's the mercy and the grace of our God. That, that when you have been lost, if you have been running, some of you are in here right now and you're like, no, it's too late, man. These are my friends. Absolutely it's not. Like, listen, Jesus will pull you back into the fray and he will restore the reputation. It might take a little bit of time, but he'll restore the trust. He'll restore the friendships. He'll restore your high calling. He'll restore the anointing. Some of you think, well, there's no possible way I could be a leader at Excel. Try. God will restore that too. Here's the thing. And this is, this is absolutely so parallel to where we're at this morning and what I want to speak into your heart. Would you be willing, if Jesus is the true and better Abram, to be one of the 318 trained family members that went with the true and better Jesus to go and find and restore Lot? Would you be willing to say this morning that I am going to, to, to join the rescue mission? The thing that's really cool about Jesus is that he does mount these rescue missions, but he doesn't do it alone. He wants to take the people that have been trained up in his family to go with him. Just like Abram took the 318 trained men that were in his family, what if P. Joey could rely on all of you who have been trained up in the faith now to go and, and get the people who are on the outside and get them back and start the restoration process, to start beginning a discipleship process in Excel. Here's how we are going to just go ahead and, and deal with our altar today. I, uh, I brought back these, these markers again, so this is going to be part of it. But I'm going to leave these right here. If any of you know of somebody that, that should be at Excel consistently but isn't, if somebody, of you, if somebody that's in here knows of somebody that should be at Breakaway but for some reason they're not, I want you to write their first name on that board so that the family can start recognizing them and praying for them. But before you do that, what I want you to do is I want you to get into your small groups and I want you to start huddling up. I want you to put your arms around each other like a family, like a band of brothers, like a band of sisters. And I want you to start praying for one another right now. I want you to start to develop that very strong sense of family in this place because that's what you are, Excel. You are a family. And I want you to start fighting for one another, even right now. If some of you that are in that family need to say to your small group leader or to somebody that's in that group, hey, I've surrounded myself with people who are not a good influence on me. Can you please be my friends? There might be some of you in that group, in that small circle that say, listen, I need new friends. Can you be that? Like, can we be friends? Can, can, we, can, like, can we help each other out? What if in that circle you said, hey, Listen, this is what we're going to do. Every Thursday, we're going to start texting each other and talking about what we're reading in God's word. You're like, man, nobody does that that are teenagers and junior hires. Because, yeah, that's because you're not trying to go with the culture. You're trying to create a new culture. So here's what I want you to do right now while the worship team starts worshiping and, and, and we set this environment. I want you guys to start grouping up in circles right now. If you can fit. However that works, if you need to break into a couple, every leader should be in a circle. 
with their students. Leaders, lead this moment. Start talking to them. Ask them, call them out. Ask them, do you need friends? Because that's what we are right now. Let's take these moments. Jesus, we come before you in this moment. And God, I pray that you would have your way in each and every single one of these groups, that these students would find friends, that they would forge new relationships. Father God, I believe that right now in this moment, no student is going to be left out. No student is going to be left behind. God, I believe in this moment that lifelong friendships are about to start. There, like, there's going to be people who are going to be maids of honors and best men at each other's weddings. And they're going to be giving speeches at each other's weddings saying, I remember that day at Spring Breakaway where we forged an unbreakable friendship. Let's go. Let's go, family. Jesus in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for family. Lord, I thank you that this is our family, God. And Lord, I know like many other families, there's going to be seasons of drama and there's going to be fights back and forth, but there'll also be love and defending. Lord, growing up, uh, I would fight tooth and nail with my sisters, but I would never let anybody else do anything to them. Father, I just pray for this family. To the ups and the downs, Lord, I echo the same prayer that you prayed for your family. When you gathered the disciples together and you prayed that they would be one in you as you are one with the Father. And not just them, but for every generation of disciples that comes after them. So, Father, I pray for the spirit of unity in this room, God. Lord, I pray against the, the idea that, that we are isolated, God. I pray against the self-deception of pulling yourself to the side and saying nobody likes me or nobody wants to talk to me. Lord, I pray that we would have enough courage to step in. And even if we do feel like that, to voice it to the group and say, listen, I, I feel isolated. And I know a lot of times it's my own fault, but, but I need help. So, Father, help us to be open and transparent and honest. Help us, Lord, to learn to love again and learn to trust again. Help us, Lord, to bring back those who aren't part of the family right now but so desperately need to be. Let us not forget about those people either, God. We thank you, Lord, for all of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.